There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Jim Caudill. Jim and I have become good friends over the past several months, and I've been very impressed with Jim's leadership and his mindset towards leadership. Jim is 100% a servant leader. Uh, his job is to take care of those um, that, that, that he's you know, required to lead and that he's chosen to lead. And today I'm super interested in this conversation as Jim's going to talk about his 20 plus years of leadership and management experience, but specifically why he was recruited into a company who most people will be familiar with, Monterey Mushrooms, as a maintenance engineering manager to help fix a broken team. And there were so many great components within that team, and it just needed the right leadership, the right expectations, the right directions. You know, I talk a lot about individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership, and I think this story and this real-life example is really going to drive that home. So, Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. That's great. So, I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to have you here. We've been, you know, working to get this lined up for a little bit now. Jim, so tell me, what drives your passion for leadership? Why do you lead? I think, well, obviously it's the people, you know, they're there to lead. Um, I just have always, you know, since I was younger in the workforce, I started out working actually in the steel mills um, as a maintenance person, Um, had always wanted to be a leader and the type of leader that would be there to support and engage the employees and not just be there to be a boss. Um, I've always believed in servant leadership, and that's something that I've always worked and strived for since I got the opportunity to get into um, into supervision. So I started out as a supervisor in a steel mill and then just kind of worked up through into management and been trying to develop that management style and that skill over the years. Um, I've made mistakes um, and learned from them, uh, but you know what I've kind of compiled and what I do today is because of those uh, those mistakes and those uh, experiences that I've had uh, to drive forward and hopefully become a better better leader. Awesome, so. awesome, awesome. So tell me a little bit about your role at Monterey Mushrooms. What what is your role there, and how many team members you know do you supervise? Okay, yeah, uh, my role is the maintenance engineering super, uh, manager, um, and then I came in um, in 2019. And interviewed for the position, um, came down, you know, and got the uh, uh, walkthrough or walk around of the plant. They call it the farm. Um, we grow and uh, produce about 70,000 pounds of mushrooms a day, which is quite a bit. I would never would believe that. Uh, 400 employees. Anyways, they brought me down, um, walked around. You know, I think they thought they were going to scare me off with what I saw. You know, and it kind of explained that, you know, they had some aging management, um, great people. It's just, you know, they're ready to retire, ready to move on, you know, had some issues. You know, they're out for a while with uh, some health issues. And so there was really clearly for a while just kind of a lack of leadership in the maintenance and engineering department uh, at Monterey Mushrooms. So um, 
you know, they just kind of described all this, expected me to go run screaming out the door. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I like, I like a challenge. And I love this. Uh, I didn't see it as a problem. I saw it as an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to create something really beautiful um, within a department. And so I took it. And uh, well knowing that there was a lot, a lot of work to do. Um, the team was definitely fractured, needed leadership. It just needed some cohesiveness uh, to bring it together. And that's, that's where I started. That is awesome. And how many team members um, are part of your department? Uh, 27. 27. Okay. Yeah, 27. I, thought, I thought it was somewhere around 30 from a prior conversation we'd had. So, so a good amount of, a good amount of team members. Correct. A good amount. Of team. So when you come in, you interview, you do your walk around, you see some of the issues, they think they're going to scare you away. So you, you take the role, you, you, you love the challenge. Uh, you saw a lot of potential out of this position. What, what was the first thing you did? How do you, how do you come in when you've got a broken team and kind of a fractured, you know, culture within that team? How do you how do you go about changing? That was the first thing you did. Well, the very first thing you have to do is listen. I mean, you can't come in and start shotgunning through a department and working through and trying to push your way into I'm the boss and this is the way I'm going to do. That's not my style. You have to come in and you have to. Um, take a look at what do you have to work with? And I think, you know, listening was the very first key. Um, you know, we've talked earlier, you know, about the SWOT analysis. And you may think of SWAT as, you know, S-W-A-T, you know, being from the police department. Yeah. Um, but S-W-O-T um, is a, an analysis that was developed uh, back in the 60s. And I learned it through, uh, through lean manufacturing. And uh, SWAT is an acronym, and it just basically stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So I had to come in and I had to listen, and I had to take and start categorizing these and seeing what we had to work with. And listening is the key. And we can talk a little bit more about that, you know, as it goes on. But definitely the SWOT analysis of seeing what is there, speaking to the employees, and say. You know, tell me about you. Tell me about what's going on here. And what do you see? Awesome. So as you went through the, the SWOT analysis, and something that, that a lot of people are, are probably familiar with or have heard of, but <clears throat> I think a lot of people hear of it and learn it and kind of leave it. And instead of intentionally walking through it, and, and from talking to you, it sounds like you intentionally walked through that SWOT analysis you sought first to understand, then be understood, right? This whole idea of listening and seeing what's really going on and, and figuring that out. So what did you find? What were the strengths of, of that team when you came in there? Well, you know, honestly, there was a hunger. And believe it or not, there was a hunger, you know, interviewing 20-some people um, and, and just coming up with the strengths. It was like there was an actual hunger for change. And they wanted accountability, believe it or not. Now, not all of them. You know, you have the few that are just there to collect a paycheck and go home. Uh, but you could definitely see a hunger within that team uh, for leadership. And there was definitely a dedicated core of, of teammates, I'll call them. I don't like to call them employees, but mm -hmm. I do sometimes. Uh, there was definitely a dedicated core um, of teammates 
that um, they wanted that accountability. They wanted to have something because they felt like they were just there existing day to day and they knew that there was more. So, um, and I think that some of the other strengths knowing going into this is that I really had the backup of upper management, you know, just not my plant manager, uh, but you know, the managers of every department within the, you know, within that location. And then also our regional and our, and our, um, our corporate, you know, they wanted, they wanted to see change and they wanted to be able to see that department thrive. When you talk about these, these 27 employees, how did you go about identifying the strengths? Did, um, did you sit down individually with each team member? Did you run small groups? Did you just have more have casual conversations and, you know, management by walking around? What, what were some of your strategies there? It was definitely a one-on-one, you know, here I am the new guy, right? So right away, they don't really kind of know what to expect, especially when there's a new boss, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's leery. How is he going to act? What's he going to do? Um, but it was definitely a one-on-one, have coffee, sit down, tell me about your family, you know, relax a little bit. And so, you know, what's going on at work? What's going on here? You know, what do you do? What... What do you see that we need to do better, you know? And it's amazing that they just open up and then they share, they share a lot, <laughs> a lot yeah. of stuff. And so I just sit and listen and I write notes and I still have those notes. So, Jim, how long, just to give the listeners an idea here, how long did those one-on-one -on -one meetings generally last for? Um, 30 to 45 minutes. So... It took, you know, scheduling about two weeks to get through all the employees, teammates. Right. The so because this is this is something that I personally have found to be so so powerful in leadership. And when there's problems, it, it's incredibly incredibly powerful. But but just even the follow up and things are going well to take the time to sit down, to, to talk to our team members, to see what's going on in their lives, just to stay connected, to make sure that they know they're important, that they feel cared for, and that we're meeting their needs. Um, because a lot of times if, if somebody needs something, they're not always going to come to their, their supervisor or the leader and ask for it because they, they you know, they, they want to have it all under control, right? Right. And so these one-on-one these -on -one meetings and this listening and seeking first uh, to understand – then be understood, you know, Covey's fourth habit um, is, is such an important thing. And if, if, if the leaders out there listening to this podcast haven't ever done these intentional one-on-one -on -one meetings, they're so, they're so powerful. The so, information yes. you get from them is just well, so and, powerful. And building the relationship, and that's, that's key. You know, as a leader, you need to build and develop a relationship with every one of your teammates. And it, it's not just this one time that I sit down and talk with them. You know, that's, this is the initial investigation. You need to be able to invest time with them on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. It needs to be something that you're, they understand. Because if it's just going to be a fake, hey, how you doing, you know. No, you really need to care about what's going on in their lives. And they'll understand that. And they will feel that. They'll know if they're just, you're just being fake. Mm -hmm. And you really do. I mean, to be a, a good servant leader. And be able to help them do their job and enable them. You need to really be connected with them relationship-wise. Yeah, 
100%. So, so powerful. So, Jim, we talked a little bit about seeing those strengths, that that hunger, right? Um, it was, was a big thing there. Uh, the, the dedicated core group of employees, the support you had from management, the fact people, they wanted to see accountability, especially the, the good team members. And accountability is such an important thing. We'll talk about that more here in a little bit. What were some of the weaknesses you identified? Well, definitely right off the bat, um, disorganization. Um, you know, it's just kind of like, like I said, some of them were just there to collect a paycheck. Uh, some of them really when talking with them, you know, they could tell me what they do, but there was no real purpose of what they were doing. Um, the lack of direction, like I said, you know, the previous manager, what it wasn't his fault. It's just the way circumstances happened. And so people were kind of like set to the wayside and not really, I don't think, listened to. Um, and then the lack of necessary skills. You know, obviously in maintenance, it's, it's important to have skills um, to be able to do your job. So either the lack of training or it was just, you know, they were in production. They had a spot. Oh, well, he's, you know, he's fixed a, fixed a lawnmower before, so he's got to be good at maintenance, right? And we put him in this position just to fill uh, the spot with the body. And that's that's not good management when it comes to yeah, I mean, is is the manager is the leader? We got to make sure that people have the the training, and the competency development, and the coaching, and the mentoring, the tools, absolutely, the, the tools that go along with it, right? I mean, that's a big part of you know, we we have to we have to give those things to our team members, right? So they can they can be successful, and then once we've given them those things and all the different things that is they need to be successful, then we can get out of their way and just let them do their job and, and really rise. And we're not doing them um, justice by putting them in a position that they cannot fulfill. Yeah, it's a position where they get paid more money, but there comes a certain amount of frustration when they can't do the job, you know, and that just does not help create a good teammate. Absolutely. So what were some of the opportunities? Well, the opportunities that really jumped out was being able to develop um the team atmosphere. I mean, obviously there's, there was a lot of that opportunity there with that, uh, to bring new hope to the morale. One, that was one of the key things that I'd heard, you know, during my conversations was that just morale is in the tank, you know, when there's no leadership and people just kind of flounder around, you know, it's just like, you know, with, without vision, you know, my people perish. I mean, that's a quote that I've heard before and if they don't then they just they just don't have that direction so being able to do that and then another opportunity was being able to find and help develop key leaders you know the core people that were there that really wanted to drive and see change and just see that department become the best department you know in the entire plant so there were kind of and there's there's more but those are the main ones that we had um, that were that really just kind of popped out you know, getting in there and having these conversations and, and seeing and feeling the hunger and, and people's desire to, to have their, their company, their team, reach these levels that, that they weren't reaching, to increase morale, to, to change the culture, that, that had to be very inspiring to you coming into this position to know, wow, 
there's some issues here, yeah. But we've got some really incredible people working on this team. You just had to get excited about what the possibilities were and what you could do with this team. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's kind of like, for me, a dream job, being able to come in. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity to go into a plant that was brand new before and help develop and put in new equipment and build all the processes and design all the PMs, you know, for the equipment and hire people. And just that was kind of like my second dream of being able to build your own, I want to say kingdom, but your own team and your own department from scratch. I mean, that's amazing when it comes for a maintenance manager. But this would be walking in and seeing all this all this moldable clay that you have the opportunity to help develop and build and to build leaders and to help not only build leaders, but to be able to affect somebody's life for the rest of their life and help develop the confidence and the skills that maybe they move on to a different company. Um, but it helps them to be able to provide for their family. And it also helps them to become a better person as well. So you got, I mean, it's, it's exciting, exciting to think about that. Yeah, and, and we talk a lot about the great responsibility of leadership and the impact of leadership and the impact of leadership goes far beyond, far, far beyond, you know, the, the, the walls of your organization, the, the eight to four, the nine to five, the three to 11, the 11 to seven, whatever shift somebody comes in and, and as leaders, that, that's a pretty big responsibility. If, if we've got a broken environment where morale's down, it's a toxic environment, anxiety, anxiety and stress are high, um, people aren't being treated well, that carries over in the kind of you know, wife or husband or mother or father or friend or family member the person is. It impacts their entire quality of life. Um, I was just talking with Kevin Sneeders um, on servant leadership, and he was bringing up this point. And we we really, if we create this great, healthy, great environment at work, it has such an impact beyond work. And if we create this great environment at work, as you're going to continue to talk about in this conversation, the the results and the successes of your team just are are tenfold. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. And And I've heard several times, you know, from employees too, and I'm not trying to, this has nothing to do with just me bragging, but... You know, my, my teammates, and, and they help develop what happens at work. You know, this isn't just me. I give the direction. I help give them the tools. And we could talk more about that, too. Um, but they help create their environment. I've given them opportunity to, to be able to have the voice um, of the direction of how we go. And by doing that, you know, I've heard from several, like, you know, one, one teammate, William, who is an amazing, amazing worker. Um, he is the one that's got the will. We'll talk about will, skill, and ability later. But, uh, you know, he tells me, he goes, my wife, he goes, she likes me. She tells me I have to keep this job because I come home happy now. Wow. I don't come home grumpy. He goes, I come home happy. She goes, so you have to keep this job. <laughs> what a compliment to you, Jim. Well, it makes me smile to be able to see the change within the department and the turnaround that's happening. And it's still ongoing and continuing. And it'll go for, 
you know, it's a living thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, just like this, this SWOT analysis, it, it's not just a one-time thing. It is a living document that you use in, in any way you want to help analyze and look for changes within your organization. doesn't matter what you do. You could use this analysis for your own personal life, and it will help you make change in your life. So, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's nice to be able to, to see the positivity that happens when people just people from other departments now want to come to work for maintenance. Wow. There's no better compliment than that. And, and a lot of times as leaders, um, you know, we, I, we talk about, you know, leadership isn't for the faint of heart. And, and a lot of times as a leader, we don't even realize the incredible impact we're having by really being a servant leader, by helping people reach their full potential, by making sure they feel cared about, they feel important, letting them know the difference they're making, the impact we're having on their personal lives. But make no mistake about it, if you're leading the right way, if you're doing things the way Jim is talking about and the way the other leaders we've had on the show are talking about, you're making a difference and you're making an impact. And, and it, it's just awesome when, when you have some of this feedback come back. Jim, real quick, let's talk about the threats because then I want to get in to some of these strategies because what you've done is, is, at Monterey Mushrooms down there with this team is, is really in, incredible and, in, and it's exciting. Um, so what were some of the, the threats um, as you finished up this SWOT analysis? Well, you know, one of the biggest threats is, you know, here's the new guy coming in and, and proposing you know, some of these new changes, you know, after being there for a month, um, pushback, mm -hmm. you know, is, you know, obviously everybody wasn't going to get on board. Right. You know, there was the core core team of people that, you know, probably 50% or more of them would said, yeah, man, this is what we want. This is what we want to do. And we need change. We really do need change. So pushback was one of them. Um, I think looking for qualified candidates, I mean, it's a tough market for maintenance um, and engineering um, in general because it's been that way for, oh man, at least 15, 20 years now trying to find qualified people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we have a limited pay scale um, and depending on where the market is and how it goes. Um, but that's, that's one of the, definitely one of the threats is trying to find good people to come in. Um, and I think, the biggest one was overcoming the old culture. You know, nothing nothing burns me more than to hear we've always done it this way. You know, that's that's I hate that statement. And I don't really say hate a lot, but I hate that statement. You know, obviously the way that we've been doing it is not working. So those were kind of the some, kind of some of the threats that we were looking at, um, you know, as a team uh, to be able to overcome. So. Yeah. So you're armed with an incredible amount of information. The, these one-on-one -on -one interviews with 20-plus team members just gave you incredible, incredible insight to what was going on there. Something that, that I think we've got to be conscious of as well as leaders, especially coming into new positions and especially coming into to cultures that are somewhat maybe broken, is that is that your team members are, are listening to what you have to say, and they're, but, but a lot of times they're cautiously optimistic. Right. And I know there's, Absolutely. there's many times I've had leaders who have come in and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then, you know, two, three months down the road, six months down the road, the, the leader shows who they really were and they really weren't a leader. They were a micromanager or, 
you know, and so, so there's, there, when you're going into a culture that has had some issues, it's okay that there's skepticism and it's not a direct reflection on, on you as an individual, but we got to go in and, and we got to walk the talk and we got to do it every day. And when you do it every day, day in and day out, then people are like, wow, this is, this is for real. I mean, that's an experience that, that I had in a, in a prior position. Um, and then I had a, you know, a team member come in as a police officer and say, you know, things around here have always just gone back to the old way. And you hear about new things and you see excitement. He's like, and this is like a year in. He's like, I'm just so glad that this is real. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've just never been happier, you know, working here for this department. And, you know, I, you know, I, I was skeptical and cops <clears throat> by nature are kind of skeptical anyway, because of the, the, the things that they have to deal with and what they see. But, but we've got to understand there is that skepticism there, which is why proactive communication, constant communication, you can't do one one-on-one interview and not have that follow-up you were talking about, why that's so important. So Jim, let's transition and talk about the different strategies that you used in changing the culture and creating this great team that you created down at Monterey Mushrooms. Oh, no, absolutely. I'd love to because um, I think, you know, and, and looking through you know, the, I uh, have like nine areas that I've used to help develop um, and, and work um, the department and the team. Um, and, and, and what you said is very valid. You know, people are very skeptical. Um, one of the things that I taught them early on was about the change curve. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the change curve in lean manufacturing, but the change curve is basically a curve where you know, you get all this activity and everything going on, and we're going to make some changes. So we're going to shake up what you think is the norm, right? So you're going to have skeptical people. You're going to have people that want the change, but still may be skeptical. You're going to have people that don't want change at all because they like the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. And the way I explain it to them, it's a curve. We're going to go down in the valley. It's going to get ugly. It may get bad. It may look... Like, oh my gosh, you're going to have people that want to jump off the boat. They want to quit. They will leave. Um, But once we've hit that bottom where we realize, okay, now we have to make good change, then you start to see that curve go up. And you can find a change curve on anywhere on the Internet. Google it. You'll find it. And you start seeing the positivity. You start seeing the momentum. You start seeing people believe. You start seeing morale go up. You know, you start people wanting to um, input their information. They want they want to be on the team. That's when you start seeing people from other departments get excited when they see it. And you celebrate. You celebrate changes. You know, we've had cookouts. We've had pizza. You know, we've, we did team pictures on each shift and made a big banner, you know, and threw it in there. So people get excited. They get on and they want to be on the team and they want to see the team successful. And that's the change curve. And so that's part of... What I explain to them up front says, I know you don't know me. I know I'm new. I come in and I'm you know, making all these statements and you know, talking about change and give it time. But know this, we're going to go through this change curve. And you know, my, my admins are getting all excited and they're printing out the change curves and posting them on the boards and everything, you know, and everybody's mm-hmm. watching. And, and so, you know, 
we start through this process, and, and we talked a little bit about the first one, is, is listening. You have to listen to the teammates. You have to listen. There's no way that you could be married and in a relationship, right, without listening. And to have a business relationship, to have a relationship with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, you have to listen. I, I could tell you, my wife would tell you, I probably failed at that a lot. But you don't give up. You continue and you continue. You have to listen to them. They need to understand and know that they're important. That's just one of the, the huge key things. And you listen to their wants. You listen to their fears. And that's what those first two weeks were all about, is what is it that you want to tell me and listen to that information? So that's very key. Obviously. Well, the listening says some things, right? Like you're listening, but it says some things. It says, I care about you. You're important to me. I respect you. I respect what you have to say. Right? I yes. mean, when you, when you listen and when you do this very intentionally and you continue to, to do this throughout, um, everybody, there, there's three things that I talk about that if, if leaders did, they'd be on the right track. It's just one solid foundation. And, and just the understanding... Everybody wants to, to feel cared about. Absolutely. Everybody wants yeah. to feel cared about. So if, if you generally care about people, boom, you got number one. The second one is everybody wants to feel important. They want to feel like they matter. People don't want to just be on a team. They want to be uh, an important part of what makes that team successful, right? So they got to have that value. And the third thing is we're seeing this now more than ever. And you talked about it, touched on earlier about purpose. And people didn't have their purpose. People want to make a difference. And so if we align purpose and help them find purpose, okay, those three things, if leaders just did those three things, they'd be well on their way to having a great team, good employee engagement, a good culture. You know, leadership isn't magic, no. right? It's, it's an investment in a lot of time. And you got to be genuine in why you lead so important, which is why I asked earlier, you know, why do you lead? Because why we lead transitions into how we lead. Absolutely. Right? So so very so this listening is so so powerful. The next thing is as you step into this, and this is so important and it's hard for so many of us, is patience. Talk about that. Yeah, being patient. Um you know, I think my you know, my notes on this say that, you know, it it's not a marathon, it's a sprint. And I know I know we've heard that over and over in different applications. But it's very true. Um Patience is key because, like you said, people are skeptical. And you have to wait for that team spirit, that team atmosphere, if you would, to take hold. Because, like you said, people come in, you know, make all these promises, you know, we're going to do this, this, and this. And people are like, yeah, well, maybe we've heard this before. Maybe we haven't. But... We have to be patient in order to allow time to work for us and to continue to show them when I say I'm going to do something, which goes into the next point, is to be honest and keep your word. So as you're working through that and you say, this is what we want to do and this is what the team says they want, this is what we're working forward. So we need a plan. Who's going to help execute this plan? And just be patient and see those things work forward and allow them to see it and allow it to change them 
And before long, you have other people coming in and saying, hey, what can I help? What can I help with? What can I do? Because I see that when you say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. Yeah. Well, people want to be part of, a, part of that. That's exciting. And she said something super important. It's a marathon, not a sprint. With relationships and forming relationships, so, so the one thing I've found is, is building and forming relationships is different. How you go about that, it's got to be different than everything else you do. Because everything else you do, you can, you can be very intentional about working very hard at it, right? Um, but with relationships, if you try too hard, the harder you try, and if you force stuff, the more damaging it can be. And almost everything else in life, the harder you try and the harder you push, the better the result comes. So this patient thing, patience thing is, is very, very important. You know, when, when I became the police chief in 2008, um, you know, the, the department was very divided at that time. And, and there was some turmoil and things, that, and I won't go into it right now because I want this to be about you, but I got some of the best advice I could have ever been given by a very good friend of mine. And, and he said, don't force it, don't sell it, just do you, right? And yes, that, absolutely. that patience is so, so important in, in relationships, taking the time to build them and let them build through just the things you're talking about doing, just being you, just being a good person, just caring about people, and, and they will build. And boy, did they in that circumstance, so... Absolutely. Absolutely. So be honest and keep your word. You talked about the culture curve. Yeah. And then the next thing you've got is you talk about this important piece of accountability. Dive into that. Yeah. Accountability is key. So, you know, when you have a team and say you got 20, 25 teammates and you have 75% of those teammates that are just really kicking it. They come in and they give it their all, all day long. But yeah, you got 25%. They just kind of come in and, you know, do the bare minimum, maybe, <laughs> you know, and they may want to try and hide or, you know, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, they don't, they don't come to work. They come to collect a paycheck. And that's not employee, employees wanting to be engaged in the team. So if you do not address that, that cancer, if you would, that rotten apple will affect the morale of the rest of the team. That's why it's so important for your teammates to understand and know that accountability is key and everybody is treated the same. There can't be favoritism. There has to be, you know, and, and that's all I've ever told my, you know, my teammates and my in my um, department. I expect you to come to work and just to do your best every day, just like I come to work and do my best every day. We come to get paid to work, and when we come and we give it our best, we go home and we feel like, hey, I gave it my best. You know, there's some pride in that. And so that accountability has to be there. And to be honest with you, we've, we've changed over a lot of people. In the last year, um, there's been people that have been there for 30 years that are no longer there. And I can look at my, my roster of teammates right now and the amount of time that people have been there and 50% of them 
are a year or less. Which is sad in a sense, but good in another sense, because we've had people come on board that want to be on the team, and they want to come in and work, and they want to um, contribute to make the company a better company. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah, the accountability is is the number one piece. So you, people think of servant leadership. This isn't like weak on leadership. This is strong on leadership. You still have to do your job as a leader, as a manager, as a supervisor. You do. You can't. It's not like oh, everything's just happy flowers and everybody's dancing around and just kumbaya, right? No, no. I mean, there there is very specific strat, strategy to what you do. Um, you have to be a strong leader, but you can still be a servant leader and still be a strong leader. Yeah. One of the one of my favorite lines in really regarding this is, you know, don't don't mistake kindness for weakness. Mm-hmm. And this accountability piece is, you know, I talked you know, a little bit ago about coming into basically a broken culture as the police chief back in two thousand eight, and this was the thing that the accountability wasn't wasn't there, and because the accountability wasn't there. That, that stemmed all kinds of, of other issues. And so one of the things I learned from, from one of my mentors is, and, and it made a lot of sense, people respect what's hard. People respect what's hard. And, and they disrespect and they take advantage of what's easy. If you let people walk on you or if you let them walk on other people, they will continue to do that. Yes. But when you hold these lines of accountability and you know this whole idea and concept for managers who struggle with this and leaders who struggle with this, is that fear of man. Like everybody wants to be liked. And when you transition into this leadership role, hey, look, you know, when I said leadership isn't for the, the fan of heart, like there's things that you will do that are right for your team and for your company that will cost you personally. Correct. And, and that's Absolutely. that's the way it is when you step into the to the role. And, and, and the one thing before we transition out of accountability, Brene Brown's courage over comfort mm-hmm. is such a powerful, short, statement if people haven't you know you know read her book dare to lead it's an amazing book uh she's doing incredible things but this whole we've always got to choose courage over comfort and we hold these lines of accountability that's really what our teams need it's what they want and if if you take out that one piece of the equation your your team is going to become fractured and you're gonna have you're gonna have problems yeah and like i said earlier on you know accountability was probably over 50% of the people when we sat down and talked, accountability was one of the key, one of the top five, honestly. Yeah. And that was coming from the team members themselves. From the team members. From the team yes. members. Absolutely. So identify and develop leadership to drive change. And so Ed Wojcicki talked about, you know, early on in change, you got to run with those who want to run with you. And that's the statement that comes to my mind. Walk us through that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I told you, there was a very core uh, group of people in the beginning, I mean, that just were excited. They were, they didn't have titles, but you could tell that people looked up to them. Um, You could tell that there was a natural drive that they had to do the right thing and to get it done. You know, uh, Shane is one of the guys that I think of, you know, I came there and he just so developed even over the last year as a leader and just, you know, became a lead guy and, and will soon be a foreman. Um, wow. Maybe someday a supervisor. Um, so, but he's got that drive and potential to go and move forward. And when you have those people, 
um, and you can find them and bring them and, and just nurture and develop them, it creates such a huge drive because they see their, the rest of the teammates see their own counterparts getting involved and moving forward and developing. And I even had a comment from one of our vendors that came in. He goes, it goes, it's so crazy. The change around here. He goes, I keep hearing teamwork. I keep hearing team. And he goes, and I've never heard that before. He goes, and it's just the most amazing change that I've seen around here and forever. He said, so wow, that's kind of cool. Um, but tells you're on the right track, right? Yeah. Shows you're on the going the right way. And, to be honest with you, I would love to take the, the 27 members that I have in the entire department and focus and just develop them all as leaders. And that, that honestly is, is the goal, you know, to help them develop their potential. You know, and I have a department of leaders that when I go away, whether I go on vacation or whatever, I don't have to worry about it. I know that everything is taken care of. And that's where I'm at right now at the point where, you know, I could walk away and it's a good feeling because I haven't had that. And to, and to do that in, you know, less than a year and a half, right? Yeah. To have this major culture shift and change, to be developing these leaders, to, to, to know when you walk away, whether it be for a vacation or whatever the case may be, that it's covered. Yes. They got it. I have the greatest team. Oh. The greatest team in the world. That is and awesome. They, you know, I, I just can't say enough about it. Yeah, that is that is really really incredible. Give them a vision and purpose. Help them see in themselves what you see in them. Yeah, very powerful. Well, you know, a lot of people, especially people that've been in a department where it's really kind of been fractured and kind of downtrodden, no leadership, sometimes don't. Well, for one thing, the vision of why are we even here? You know, why are we in this department? Why was I hired? What, you know, you know, there's the simple things. Well, I just got to keep this machine running or I have to do this, but it's, it's a bigger thing. It's about giving them the purpose and the vision of why maintenance is maintenance because maintenance is there to serve our customers and our customers are internal. And when we serve our internal customers, well, they serve our exterior customers, our, you know, say the Aldi or the Walmart or whoever it is that we're shipping mushrooms to, right? Mm -hmm. So to get that to the point where they can understand that we are there to serve, and that's our primary department, our primary focus and goal, um, and to be able to let them see how they affect that, how, you know, I come today and I can make a difference and serving our customer and to be able to help develop them. We've developed, you know, their skills for those that do lack skills by utilizing our outside vendors. You wouldn't believe the, you know, free opportunity that a vendor wants to come in and, you know, where we buy belts or bearings and show you how do you select a belt? Why is a belt this way? Why is a bearing spec'd up this way? Um, oil analysis, you know, on the equipment. Um, we've had countless time after time pre-COVID when we can get together. Right. Um, but we're still working on that. And to be able to bring them in and give them that that education, that training. And it's amazing, you know, because they'll come up and say, 
I know why this belt is, you know, as a BX, you know, and not an A or just a B, you know, and it's like, you know, it's just excitement. Yeah. And and it's just like that, that little bit of time, that one hour, one week, we did a training on belts and they're able to understand why a specific belt is on a piece of equipment or, hey, this isn't the right belt. We need to get this belt and it'll last longer. I'm like, do it. Yeah, let's get it done. So, I mean, that's, you know, being able to, to do that and to work with them and, and for them to have the vision um, and then to help them honestly, you know, see why they're there and see that potential. It's just, I love to see people grow. Mm-hmm. What a, what a, what a rewarding experience as a leader when you see that growth, when, when you've helped people, you know, knock down those walls they put up around them, shatter that ceiling they put over them to really reach what their true potential is. I mean, you talk about their their purpose and their value. Hey, look, if maintenance didn't exist in your company, your company wouldn't exist. You wouldn't be pushing mushrooms out the door. Correct. Right? And so so seeing what that value is and what the impact is is, is so important. When we reshape and reframe and get people to look at things from little different angles, the way they feel about the difference they're making and the importance of the work that they're doing, then it, then it becomes about more than it's just a job. Yes. And that's what you've created down there. Yeah, and, it, and there's nothing more exciting to be listening on the radio and to hear you know, one of my supervisors call somebody and say, hey, I need you to run over to the line and take a look at this, this issue. And then to hear, you know, well, you know, I'm just about ready to go on break. I'll do it afterwards. And the supervisor says, no, please, we need to take care of our customer. Please go take care of it, and then you can t- take your break afterwards. You know, and to hear that over the radio, that, that, that change taking place of we're here to serve them and make sure they're taken care of. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. It really is exciting. That is, that. that is exciting. So empower your team to make change and let them drive change. You were talking about that just, just a few minutes ago, but – in this whole idea of developing and creating 27 leaders yeah. right throughout throughout your team and and really what i hear out of that is ownership absolutely is and ownership is such a powerful powerful component of high performing organizations of organizational excellence mm-hmm. and and really empowering people to to step and take that's a big big deal so we have seven acres under a roof. Wow. And most of that is climate controlled. So being able to empower, and not just here, in any team, to me, micromanaging is exhausting. It just wears you out running around trying to figure out who's doing this, doing that, running all over. It's, it doesn't work. And then it frustrates your teammates. Being able to empower them and let them know, I trust you to do your job and make good decisions. But if you want to come ask me for sure, for clarity, I'm here. I'm here to support you. I'm here to make sure that you have the tools and the training to do your job. Um, You know, my teammates will come and say, here, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'd like to do. I'm going to have to spend $1,000 to make this better but it'll reduce downtime once a week. And that's what I'm thinking. Thumbs up, do it. You know, you guys have the ability to take care of that. 
So they're really good about doing that. You know, uh, we had a teammate um, come to us. We were quoting uh, new conveyors. He says, you know what? I think we can do this in-house cheaper. Wow. I said, all right, get me quotes. Got quotes. We built the conveyor in-house, saved $30,000. So, I mean, it's just empowering them to, to do the things that they love to do. And to make that change, it excites them. And when they get excited, I really get excited to yeah. see that. So I just, I love being able to empower them to own their department, own their line, own their area of what they're doing. And then that ownership creates so much pride when they can say, hey, look, look what we did. And, you know, one really good example is when we, when we, I first came in, the maintenance shop itself was in such disarray that you would walk in and you'd have to walk over motors and gearboxes to get into where you were going. And so we came up with the plan. I sat down with everybody on one of our Tuesday meetings. I said, here is a print of the shop. How do you want it to look? And I gave 27 people the opportunity to plan the shop on how they'd like to see it. Four of them actually filled it out and turned it in. And so the four that actually did, it looked really similar to what, you know, to each other. So it was great. So I said, all right, guys, I gave everybody the opportunity and four of you have turned in plans. And next week I'm going to post the new plan. This is what the shop's going to look like. And we did. And we came up with a, a hit list and we did cleaning. We bought racks. We bought shelving. We completely rearranged this huge shop, 10,000 square feet, and reorganized it. And they saw the change going. And it's like, you know, it's the whole thing about keeping your word and just consistently being consistent, being patient, watch the change. It was a huge mess for a long time. And then first of the year, it's like, wow, I mean, look at this. I can find stuff. You know, we're just finishing up a huge inventory move now, relocating our entire inventory and putting it into a secure location. And you walk in there and um, our um, inventory clerk, Rachel, has done an amazing job. You walk in and everything is on a shelf and it's labeled min-max. I mean, it's got everything. It's just absolutely amazing. Completely changed the whole work environment. It, it did, absolutely. And it showed the other team members that if they have ideas or they want to contribute, that you're open to listen to them. Speak and, up. And implement implement those those changes so we're starting to wind down on on the time for today's show and we talked somewhat about a lot about trust and building relationships and and being the foundation of a of a great team um but, but you've got a, a lot to talk about and to say and some examples on this concept of will skill and ability and and you know making sure you've got the right people walk us through that because i think this is really i was really intrigued by this when you were talking about it yeah, absolutely. This is actually a concept that um, I was I learned through an HR manager, um, Richard Gross, and it was pretty pretty foreign when I first learned it. But when you're looking to hire people, obviously we've tried to develop our team, and we want our team to be cohesive. We want people to work together. We have a, a huge support network where if one person right now has a major issue, all they have to do is get on the radio and there's three other people going over to help them. 
and we knock it out and then we move on. There has to be some relationship there, obviously. There has to be some trust. There has to be, um, I don't want to say attitude, but there has to be, oh, there's some character there that each person has in that team. And so they get along. I mean, as well as family does, right? Brother and sister don't always get along. Sometimes right? we have a little a little scuff or conflict, but we work it out and we make sure that everybody goes on. Uh, but will, skill, and ability. I've hired people that have had amazing skill, but when it comes to their personality and working with the team, not so much. And I've had to let them go. They just did not make their probationary period. Um, I would take anybody, and I have, you know, obviously we've had examples of that too, where if you come in and you may not have the skill, but you have the ability to learn it and you have the will to learn it and you mesh with our guys, then I'm, I'm all in. I will, that's probably my biggest detriment is I will keep somebody and keep trying to work with them and find a spot for them if I know that they have that desire, they have that will to learn. And so, you know, we've, I think one of the examples, best examples is not necessarily at Monterey, but I do have a couple of examples at Monterey. Um, one of my previous position is I had a guy that came into maintenance um, from production. Smart guy, his name's Brian. And computers, CNC, don't know why he was in production, but he was. We brought him in. He went through uh, robotics training. He went to some controls classes. One of the best controls technicians that I've ever known. And the guy has just advanced, but he had the will. And he had the ability to learn. So we helped him find the skill that helped complement the team. And it was just an amazing fit. You know, I, I, I discussed uh, William, you know, I think previously with you. You know, William is just an amazing, amazing guy that he just, he has that come to work, I'm ready to go, I'm here to learn, I'll do whatever you need to do because I'm getting paid to do it and I just love this place. So he's coming in and we've trained him, he's gone to some training classes and he picks stuff up so well. He is a leader, just a natural leader, he has no title, but he is a leader because he has the will, he's getting the skill because he has the ability to do it. So those, it's just an amazing concept to look at. Um, because so many times in the past, I would look at somebody, look at the resume and say, yeah, I really don't have any experience. I'll pass mm-hmm. without even talking to that person to see mm-hmm. where they're at. So there's a lot of resumes now that I look at that I may have not looked at in times past. If you want to create great teams, you've got to have great people. And you can never, your bench can never have too much depth. One of the things we talk about here is hire for for, for character and culture fit <clears throat> and train for competency. In, in some positions, you got to have a certain basic Correct. competency, right? And, and people generally do if they're applying for the job. But resumes don't do jobs. People do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wrote an article that talked about that with our public works director, assistant city manager. On paper and resumes prior to taking that job, there might have been other people more impressive on paper 
because of you know 10 years experience as a director of public works or, or whatever the case may be. But the only place that they would be more impressive is on paper. Because this guy is one of the best leaders I've ever worked with. He adds value to every room he's in. The, the level of results, the way he creates teams, resumes don't do jobs. People do. And we've really made a transition here at the city about hiring for character and culture fit and, and training for those competencies. So what you're saying just resonates so much with me. Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I've just really enjoyed this conversation. And what I, what I love, I'm huge on culture, work environment, creating great teams, you know, servant leadership, you brought all those things to life through incredible examples today. Um, you know, the, the power of the SWOT analysis, and I'm going to go back and look at this within our own organization as well, uh, because the way you broke this down was just, it was just awesome. And it was actionable, right? It was actionable. And, and the action you've taken, just, just go ahead and surmise for the listeners where your team is today from where they came from, from where they heard? Um, I would say that from going from a very fractured department with a very poor morale um, and poor performance, the, the department has really flourished and become probably, to my, I, maybe I'm a little partial, but one of the best departments in the plant and the teamwork, the morale is just so, so huge. I mean, it's just, you know, be able to get together and laugh and to be able to see the guys have fun at work and enjoy their work. I mean, that's not every day, but for the most part, they enjoy it. You know, we have cookouts, we celebrate things. You know, this next month we're doing a chili, chili cook-off contest and um, they're all excited about that. And, and everybody about who's going to have the best chili. You know? Yeah. So, um, but no, it's the, it's not done yet. But man, are they on their way? Yeah. They are on their way. You have incredible momentum. Momentum. Exciting to see. Yeah. And the thing about leadership is there's no destination. I mean, you really Simon Sinek talks about the infinite game. Yes. Like you're never done. Correct. Right. When you're committed to excellence, which it, which you are and your team is, excellence isn't a destination. It's a place we can visit from time to time. But there's always a better way. There's always room to improve. And in relationships, we know this, and you compared like to the relationship with a wife or somebody. You know, there's a lot of maintenance that has to happen to keep that going and building on that momentum. So, Absolutely. Jim Caldwell, thank you so much for joining us today. You've added such incredible value for our listeners. You know, some things and takeaways, obviously the SWOT analysis, but the power of listening and being patient, understanding that, that it's a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. Being honest, keeping your word. Uh, accountability. Accountability is, is so, so important. Developing leaders through every level. Le- leadership isn't a title. It's not a formal position. And we need to be developing leaders and that leadership mindset, empowering our leaders, giving them the tools they need, getting out of their way. So much trust in building relationships and, and this will, skill, and ability. I think listeners can really take a lot from that you know, you've created just an incredible team. This has been a, a great uh, real life, real life example from from a real servant leader. Uh, to our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Uh, if you're on Apple, please leave us a rating or review. It really helps us reach and help more people. Consider sharing the episode with your network. And remember, always be committed to excellence.